0: Good morning, church family. It's good to be back here together with you today. My name is PJ. I serve as one of the elders here at Calvary. Uh, We'll be reading this morning from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. I'm reading from the NASB. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations and i will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down every one by the sword of another on that day declares the lord of hosts i will take you zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, my servant declares the lord and i will make you like a signet ring for i have chosen you declares the lord of hosts may god bless the reading of his word Good morning, friends. How are we? Doing okay?
1: Uh, I just want to say thank you to you all for allowing my family and I to get away for last week. We went to the mountains of North Georgia, so thank you to all those that covered for me in that, in that um, last week. Uh, also, if you ever doubt that the Bible is truly God's Word, then just look at current events. Amen. It's very evident, even in our world, that Israel is still God's chosen nation, amen, and that the enemy doesn't like it. And it's interesting, you see the conflict that is between Palestine and Israel currently, and where did that all begin? It all began between a guy named Jacob and a guy named Esau, which we talked about in the book of Obadiah a couple of weeks ago, so it all kind of fits together. So, um, But today, what I want to talk to you guys about is uh, the fruits Of God's mission the fruit of God's mission the effect the results the outcome of following Fulfilling and finding God's mission in your life Let me just start out with a question. How many of you have ever? Worked on a project for a really really long time. I mean like months type of thing at least weeks, okay And you work really really hard on it and then you get to the finish line And it works exactly like you thought like no one okay and now the opposite question how many of you have ever worked hours and hours months and months on a particular project and it doesn't quite work out the way you expect yeah there you go all of us that's just the way life is i remember when i was a a teenager my my dad had a boat yeah uh as you know what boat stands for bust out another thousand okay that's what it stands for well this this boat was a derelict. It was a, a rust bucket, and that's a compliment to the boat, okay? Uh, it was not the nicest boat in the world, but it served a purpose, right? My dad wanted to take us out tubing and skiing during the summertime. So my dad had this, you know, maybe we call it delusions of grandeur, okay? He wanted to take his family out to Gunnersville Lake State Park. And so what did he do in preparation? He made sure, man, that engine was... You know, a hundred years old or whatever it was, but it was in tip-top condition. I mean, the engine was perfect. Everything was set up. He cleaned out the boat. He put the tube in there. He put life jackets in. He put oars in. He put all this stuff in that boat just to prepare for that one day for us to enjoy on Lake Gunnersville. You probably see where this story's going. So anyways, we, we, he loads this boat up. You know, he fixes it up and we start driving down to Lake Gunnersville, Gunnersville State Park. It was about an hour or so away. And then that day was like the most beautiful day to go boating ever. It was hot. It was sunny. It was beautiful. It was a great day to go skiing and tubing. So then we get in the boat, right? He remembers to put the plug in this time so it doesn't sink to the bottom of the lake. Um, And um, (laughs) sorry, there's lots of stories about that boat, Um, maybe for another time. Um, Another sermon illustration. So he puts that boat in. He puts the plug in, and we all get in that boat ready to go. The engine fires right up. So we get in, and we take off. We get to right in the middle of the lake, Guntersville, and the boat broke down. The propeller disconnected from the shaft inside of it. So the engine was great. It was the propeller's fault this time. So we're sitting there in the middle of the lake wondering what are we supposed to do. Of course, what do we do? We, take, we find those oars, and we do it the old-fashioned way. So we sit there whoosh, whoosh, all the way back to the boat ramp, and we get it out. We all... We want to see that our effort pays off we all want to see that the labor that the effort that the money that we spend actually bears fruit we in the christian life have the same sense that we want to serve the lord that we want to glorify his name expand the kingdom of god but at some point in time it would be nice to see the fruit of our labor it would be nice to see the outcome of the results of our life That's what we see in the book of Haggai Haggai chapter 2 We see a man named Zerubbabel And and what's interesting about this particular prophecy Is that it's given just to one man It's not given to the nation of Israel And today we see the fruit of his labor We see God reward this man named Zerubbabel With three different types of fruit Eschological fruit, eternal fruit And also earthly fruit So we have your Bible Turn to Haggai chapter 2 Today we see the rubble's effort pay off in the fruit that is produced from his life and we will unpack it together let us just kind of quickly set up the stage for this morning let's just kind of review if you is your first week at you know calvary bible church or you know you just need a refresher course that's what we're here to do so we see in the book of Haggai. There is one word that describes this book. It is the one word of mission. If you remember the story of the book of Haggai. What is that mission? It is to rebuild the temple, rebuild Solomon's temple into Zerubbabel's temple after they return from Babylonian captivity. So this man named Zerubbabel and a man named Joshua and the nation of Israel set out on this mission to rebuild the temple. And what I see In the book of Haggai are seven different principles to accomplishing God's mission in our life. Principle number one is this. To accomplish God's mission is to listen for the mission. As it says in chapter one of Haggai, he says, rebuild the temple, verse three and verse seven. He gives them a mission to do. How does God speak to us today? He speaks to us through circumstances, through others, through his word and through his spirit god i believe is trying to speak to us all the time every day for us to obey and understand exactly what his will is for our life so we should listen for the mission number two is then reprioritize a life around that mission if you remember in chapter one they are busy building their own homes if you remember that and then god says are you busy paneling your home what about my house so they have to reprioritize their life. And then principle number three is to look for God's supply. In chapter one, I believe it's in verse seven or verse eight. He says, go up to the mountain. There's wood that I've supplied to rebuild the temple that they have set before them. So to accomplish God's mission, first you must find God's mission. The three, those are the three principles that began in chapter one. And then principle number four and principle number five, we saw in order to follow God's mission, what should we expect? We should expect opposition. We should expect opposition from natural man, from the enemy, if we truly obey God's mission. But also, as I was reminded after the sermon, the old Barn, you missed one. You miss sometimes that there is opposition within the body of Christ itself. So we should expect opposition. We expect things not to go perfectly. If you remember, the book of Haggai fits within the historical context of the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter, chapters 1 through 6. And if you remember again and again and again, Zerubbabel and Joshua face opposition to the mission of rebuilding the temple. And we'll explain how long it actually takes later on in this sermon. Principle number four is expect opposition. Principle number five is to take courage or be courageous. Um, that's difficult. When the Lord calls you to move, when the Lord calls you to go into full-time ministry, when God calls you into seminary, when God calls you to start a ministry or to participate in a ministry or to start a grow group, it's, it's, it's scary. Amen? Have you ever had that kind of knot in your stomach? You know, if, if you haven't, you're probably not human, you're a cyborg. It's just the way we're wired. So in order to truly follow God, we must be courageous. We must follow the Lord. What does it say in chapter 2 three times? It says, take courage, take courage, take courage. And then principle number six that we saw last week, or two weeks ago, I should say. In order to accomplish the mission of God, we are to fulfill the mission of God by being holy. If you remember that part of the book of Haggai, what does God say? That you, your people have this... Holy calling to rebuild the temple, but their lives don't match the holiness of their task. In other words, what? That a holy calling requires holy living. That if God is asking you to follow Him, if God is asking you to be courageous, if God is asking you to go on mission for Him, then how we live our lives in private and in public, the holiness in our life matters. And let's just be honest here. Uh, we all are flawed. Amen. Can I get an amen to that one? Okay. We're all flawed. Thank you. Alright. And, and so, I mean, we should be holy for God is holy, but when we mess up, what does the scripture say? That you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we are to be holy. Pause. So what did God just get done doing to Zerubbabel? What did he get, just get done saying? He said, all of those people that you have working on my temple, they're contaminating the holiness of my building, that their lives don't match the holiness of the temple that they are building from the ground up. Um, how do you think Zerubbabel was feeling this particular moment? He's probably feeling a little bit discouraged, a little bit scared. But what I what, what I want you to notice is what doesn't God say? Sometimes that's the best type of observation that we can have. What doesn't God say? He tells the rubble, all those people that you have building the temple, that they have unholy lives. And then what does he say at the end of chapter 2, verses 18 and 19? He says that the seed is still in the barn, that there's still opportunity for them to repent, right? But what doesn't he say? He doesn't tell the rubble here, hey, I'll, I'll go get rid of all those people. Go find better people. Go find holier people. He doesn't do that at all. He basically says this, that principle number seven, is this is the beginning of this first half, is to use what you have. In order to accomplish God's mission, we must use what we have. We see that where God does not tell the rebel just to wipe the slate clean, get rid of all these people that are unholy, that are contaminating my house. Um, As I thought about this this week, I think sometimes when we follow the Lord we say, God, only if, only if I had a bigger house, I would invite people over. Only if, if I had a better paying job, I would. Only if I had more intelligence or whatever, that I would follow you. Uh, Only if, only if, only if. That's not what God does. He says to Zerubbabel, "Yeah, those people that you're using—they have unholy lives, but the seed is still in the barn. There's still time for them to repent. And use Zerubbabel, son of or Joshua, son of Shethiel. All you guys that are leaders of Israel, use what you have in lieu of their imperfections. Use what you have. Um, Think about." God, and think about the disciples that Jesus is, uses to shape the world as a whole. What does God use? He uses an uneducated fisherman to shape the world. And that uneducated fisherman named Peter brings 3,000 people to Christ on the day of Pentecost. He uses a man named Paul who martyred and crucified or attacked Christians. He uses the scum of the earth, Matthew, a tax collector, to shape the world. What I see kind of inferred in the text, is don't just wipe, don't just cast out all of those people for all of their faults. Use what you have. And that's kind of where we pick up in Haggai chapter 2. What we see in this last prophetic oracle, if you remember, the book of Haggai is four different parts, which is why we had four different sermons on the book of Haggai. There are four different prophecies, four different oracles written in the book of Haggai. And this one is the most unique it is the most different because it's written to one man it's not just written to Joshua and Zerubbabel and the people of Israel but it's just written to that one man named Zerubbabel and what we see in this text is we see three different fruits from his life three different outcomes or results or byproducts, or whatever word you want to throw on the end there, choose a synonym, okay? Three different outcomes of his task to be obedient to rebuild the the temple of God. Notice verse 20 of Haggai chapter 2. I want you to notice, I want you to see if something sounds familiar. Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, pause, what's similar What's, what Where have we heard that before? If you go to back to chapter two, verse eleven, you see you 'll notice that this is given on the exact same day as chapter two verse eleven it 's on the twenty fourth day of the month If you, of the sixth month, I believe it says, if you know the chronological time frame, that this is December 24th of 520 B.C. So Haggai 2, 11 through 19 is given in a sense to all of the nation of Israel. And then here in verse 20 through the end of the book, it's given to just one man on the exact same day. If there were any good time to tell Zerubbabel, hey man, get rid of those people, this would be the time. He gives this right after he has given his pr- prophetic warrants to the, the nation of Israel to be holy. That The seed is still in the barn. And he tells Zerubbabel, he encourages Zerubbabel with three different fruits from his life. Notice what it says in verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going. And I highlighted that I am going. You can also say what? I will. I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the powers of the kingdoms of the nations, and I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders, and they will go down everyone by the sword of one another. In my opinion, what I think God is doing is not only revealing to Zerubbabel the fruit of his life and the fruit of his task, but he's also encouraging Zerubbabel. He's telling all of the effort that he has put forth that is making a difference to the kingdom of God. And notice here that he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will shake the heavens and the earth. The word shake means earthquake, tremble. I will overthrow the kingdoms of the world. Why is that important? Who's been giving Zerubbabel fits? If you know the story in the book of Ezra, it is the kings of Persia that have caused them to stop multiple times. So all of those kings that are giving you fits, I will overthrow them. And then it says, I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. Now, why is that important? Well, if you know this particular culture, you know, the the power of a kingdom was not measured and necessarily just men. It was also measured in the amount of chariots and riders that they had. So the power of the kingdoms of the world that God will overthrow them, no matter how big and how strong they really are, I will overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and the riders and they will go down everyone by the sword of one another. In my opinion, what God is doing here is not only encouraging Zerubbabel, but he's talking about also the fruit that is to come. And when does this happen? If you've been here for the minor prophets, then you probably know where I'm going with this. That the book of Obadiah and pieces of the book of Haggai, that this is a prophecy still yet to come. In my opinion, that this is referring to the day of the Lord, a period of judgment upon the earth. And I take it as a thousand and seven years, but we can arm wrestle about that later. It's cool. We can, we can talk about it. Take me to lunch. Um, it's a thousand and seven year period of judgment upon the world. And that in that time, that God will fulfill all of his promises to Israel that haven't been yet fulfilled, and that he will overthrow the kingdoms, overthrow chariots and their riders. So we see the eschatological fruit that is to come, that God is trying to encourage the rubble despite the condemnation that he gives to the nation of Israel for unclean hands. And this man named Zerubbabel, he gives him more encouragement. Not only is there eschatological fruit, eschatological means last, eschatos means last, things to come. But he also gives him eternal fruit from his life. Notice verse 23. It says, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shetil, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Things just kind of stop. You know, it just kind of all of a sudden, kind of in mid-sentence, the prophecy ceases. So we have eschatological fruit in verses 20, 21, and 22. And then we see here eternal fruit, if you have your notes. What's the eternal fruit from Zerubbabel's life? Two things, right? Notice this. I found this so interesting, okay? I'm going to back up just a hair before I give you that. I want you to notice this word right here. Why do why does the rubble know that the judgment upon the world will come to pass? Why does he know that all of this stuff, all of the promises, all of the fruit from his life will come to pass? It is because the Lord of hosts. Remember, Lord means Yahweh, I am who I am, self-existent, the one true God. And the word hosts means, is the Hebrew word, which means armies. In other words, it is the true God who is ready to act on behalf of his servants. That's what that means. And I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, my servant. That is the first eternal fruit of his life. My servant. Yahweh's servant. As I, as I, as I heard those two words and I was studying this week, what does that remind you of? It reminds me of the parable where it says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So Zerubbabel to this point has been faithful to the mission that God has called him to do. He has found it. He has followed it. He has fulfilled it. And then the Lord calls him here and in eternity, my servant. I would hope that all of us would have want that designation heard from the mouth of our Savior for our lives as well. The my servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That the fruit that we produce in our life, that that would be the outcome. That we don't really do anything for ourselves and the earthly possessions that we have, but everything that we do would be because we love him and to serve him as Lord and master of our life. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let me just ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand on this. How many of you would like to hear that? What does it require? It requires personal holiness. It requires following the Lord. It requires being courageous. It requires making disciples, loving God, loving others. It requires following him to the nth degree, my servant. So that's eternal fruit number one is his servant. But then notice this piece. This is eternal fruit number two declares the lord and i will that's the last one i will i will i will i will and i will make you notice this phrase right like a signet ring now notice the word like it doesn't say i'll make you the signet ring i'll make you like a signet ring for i have chosen you declares the lord of hosts what in the world is he talking about a signet ring for one commentator says this, a signet ring was the mark and identification of royalty. A person used it to sign letters and documents. Since it represented him, he guarded it very carefully, usually wore it, and it came to represent a most prized possession. Okay, okay. What they would do, especially in letter correspondence, is a king or a or a governor would take a letter, put it in an envelope essentially and then take wax pour it down and then take his what take his signet ring push it down into the wax and it would stamp a very unique signature so that way the person the recipient of the letter would be able to verify that it was actually sent from the king or the governor and that the letter hasn't been tampered with when the seal is then broken um what is he saying here if you remember the have any of you ever seen the movie Ben her Have you seen the movie Ben her okay remember that part in the memory bit her it takes the tablet he goes right remember that that's the ring of the governor his his, his adopted father a ring, for i have chosen you declares the lord what is he talking about um who is the rubble he is the grandson of the last king of judah okay so what does that mean he is a son of David, he is part of the heir, part of the lineage to the Christ. In my opinion, what he is saying is that the Son of God, the one, the Messiah, the one that you've heard about all throughout the Old Testament, starting in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, that he will come from your line and you will be like a signet ring, a seal of the royalty and the divinity of God who he saw in Jesus Christ, and he is a forefather of Jesus Christ to come. That he would be like a signarine. Some people say that Zerubbabel is a type or a foreshadow of the Savior, but we just say that he is the father of the coming Messiah. One commentator basically said this: that Jesus is just as much a son of Zerubbabel as he is a son of David. That's how he's going to be like a signorine. That his life, will, that the Messiah will come forth from his life, and that Messiah will be the signet ring of God who would be the uh, embodiment of divinity and the rep- pure representation of God on earth. Um, I want you to think about something else too. So you see the eschatological fruit of Zerubbabel's obedience. You see eternal fruit, that he is God's servant, that well done, thou good and faithful servant, and that the Messiah will come from his line. But then, wait, there's earthly fruit too. Can I just speak a little bit? We... We care a lot more typically for our earthly fruit than we do for our eternal fruit. Track with me on that? That, Lord, I've been faithful for so long and I got five people. Or God, I've been faithful so long and all I have is this. So many often in life we look at our earthly fruit and we say, what? Lord, it's just not enough. But that's not up to us to decide. That's up to the Lord to decide how He uses our life. Our role, our job is to be obedient to the call, to be courageous, to be holy, and leaving the fruit to God. I want you to think about His life. I mean, here this guy is. I'll share this a little bit. I'll just go ahead and share it now. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. How long has He been working on the temple? So if you notice in Ezra chapter 6, we'll read it here in just a moment, that he completes the temple in year 6 of Darius. What year is it here? Year 2? Some scholars say that it has been 13 years since Ezra 1 to Ezra chapter 6. So in other words, what? That the foundation of the temple has been laying in open earth, open sky for 13 years. And then Zerubbabel here is Haggai and then he has another four years to go. In total, it takes him 17 years to build the temple. That's a long time. Okay. My daughter's only uh, seven. All right. She got 10 more years to go. All right. That's a long time. I got a lot more gray hair for my seven-year-old. Okay. That's a long time. It would be very easy for him to be discouraged. He's already been 13 years at this point. And he's still got another four years to go. But the fruit of his life is not up for him to decide. And I want you to think about the earthly fruit he does create. Two things. Number one, we are it's pretty crazy that we're talking about Zerubbabel today and his obedience to God despite all of the odds. And here we are, so 2,500 years later, talking about a man that just followed the Lord, that was obedient, and that we've never met in our lives. That's earthly fruit. And number two, we see it as earthly fruit of rebuilding the temple. It, is, it becomes complete. If you know, today in the world, you can actually see remnants of Zerubbabel's temple. The temple that Zerubbabel completes in Ezra chapter 6, about 400, 500 years later, a man named Herod the Great then takes that Zerubbabel temple, and then what does he do? He then beefs it up, makes it opulent. And then today, what do you see? You can go to Israel and see the Temple Mount still today, where the Dome of the Rock is lying. So in a sense, we here today can see the fruit and the remnants of the earthly fruit of one man's obedience. Some 2,500 years later, that because the rubble didn't quit, because he was courageous, because he was holy, because he followed the Lord, he bore much fruit. Eschological, eternal, and earthly fruit. My principle today is this. Number principle number one is to listen for God's mission. Number two is to reprioritize your life. Number three is to look for God's supply. Number four is to expect opposition. Number five is to be courageous. Number six is to be holy. And then number seven is to use what you have and trust God for the fruit. To use what you have and trust God for the fruit of your life. You never know what will come from your life if you seek and follow the Lord. We follow God so that our lives would bear fruit, to bring glory to Him, to expand His kingdom for His glory and fame. God's love for me compels me to love Him and love others. I think we want to see. I mean, I hope that when we serve in Awana, when we serve in children's ministry, when we serve here as a hospitality person, all the all of the ways the body of Christ comes together, I hope we, that we would not grow discouraged just by your earthly fruit, because what really matters is his glory not ours amen it doesn't matter how big stuff is it's all about his glory his fame his expansion of the kingdom and that that fruit is what we should care about we don't obey god for what we can get we obey god for what we can give because of what we have been given i'll say that again we obey god for what we not for what we can get We obey God for what we can give because of what we have been given. The fruit of your life, the efforts that you have, the mission that he's granted you, follow him and leave the results to God. This is the completion of the temple, Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, and this is where we will finish up the book of Haggai. It just kind of ends in verse 23. It doesn't really give us any resolution to the story. Ezra 6.14 says, and then the elders of the Jews were successful in building the temple through the prophecy of Haggai, the the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edu. And they finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. those guys that caused him To age very badly. This temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of Darius. The man named Zerubbabel spent 17 years on this mission, on this task. And he was faithful. He was courageous. He looked for God's supply. And in a sense, he just let the fruit be what it may. And we see his eternal fruit that this Messiah comes through him. He is a father of the Messiah. He is my servant. And his fruit that we see today, his earthly fruit, is before us. That's Zerubbabel's life, and that's the book of Haggai. So the question I have before we like to de- dismiss, is this is going to be a little bit beefier than normal. Just kind of let us summarize it all. Uh, n- really, number one question is, what, what mission is God calling you to do? I think sometimes in life we just kind of go through the motions, we just kind of go to work, we, we just pick up chicken on the way home, we, we just pay our bills and we have no thought to actually what God wants for us in our season of life. Am I, am I the only one? Okay. Alright. So, find God's mission. What, what, what mission is God asking you to do? What, where is he asking you to follow him? And then number two is, will you follow him? What is the mission? Will you follow him? When we follow the Lord, we should expect opposition, but we should also be courageous. And then number three is, will you fulfill God's mission by being personally holy? And then number four is leave the fruit, leave the results, leave the byproduct of your life to the Lord. That's the message of the book of Haggai. It is mission, and that is the summation of this book. Before I close, allow me to just share a brief word. It is Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no, no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you must be saved. It is impossible to truly leave an eternal impact without first believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. If you've never trusted Christ, let me just Okay. If you die tonight, maybe this is morbid, but it's just the truth. If you die tonight, where would you go? If heaven, then why? Because as we look at the scripture that being good enough is impossible. We can't earn our way to heaven, right? There's only one road to heaven for there's salvation and no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then he has before you the gospel that Jesus Christ has come and he's died and has given you the free gift of salvation that if you believe in him, you shall be saved. It says in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess to your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, then you shall be saved. If you have any questions about that feel free to see me after the service today pray with me father i thank you for this morning i thank you for the testimony of zerubbabel how he faithfully served you and and was brave and courageous and how he followed you despite all of the odds despite all of the obstacles and that he was faithful for 17 years and lord I thank you for the fruit of his life uh, we thank you that we can look upon him and just um Know that, Lord, that you will use our lives we are beating to you to bring you glory and you fame. And, Lord, I pray that each of us would desire to hear my servant when we go to heaven. Lord, I thank you for Calvary Bible Church. And I lift up the rest of the service today. In Jesus' name, amen.